Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. This is John O'Leary, and I am so happy to be with you here joining me on the Live Inspired Movement. On every Live Inspired podcast episode, I have amazing guests join me to share their story, their successes, their failures, their lessons, and their life. Yes, you can expect to hear absolutely profound and unforgettably inspiring stories, but more than that, you should expect to take away real ideas to apply in your life. My friends, my goal here is to have guests on this show that will inspire you to choose to wake up from accidental living so that you can do, you can be, you can achieve, and you can impact even more through your life. Or maybe more simply said, so that you can live inspired. Now, today's episode will be a great reminder of what is possible when you are driving on the right bus with the right leaders, the right classmates, the right coworkers, the right friends, the right family members, and the right attitude sitting around you. My guest today is a gentleman named John Gordon. He is the author of The Energy Bus, among more than a dozen other incredible books. The Energy Bus is a book that I think is transformatively important to read. It's a fable, and yet it's a beautiful reminder of what can happen when you change your mindset as you enter the bus of life each day. It's a great book. I'm going to share with you right now, as John and I had this conversation, a few things that I want you to be looking for, a few comments that he shared that were beautiful. They rocked me when he shared them, and I think they're going to inspire you when you hear them. So if you don't have a pen out yet, consider grabbing one right now. Consider opening up your laptop or taking notes on your phone. But here are a couple comments made on this episode from John Gordon. You're going to hear them as the show progresses, but gosh, hearing it ahead of time will make it even more beautiful when you hear it a second time. Here we go. John says that sometimes you got to lose a goal to find your destiny. There is one song and we are part of the symphony. We make music and we make music that matters. John also shared in the show that he was allowing life to define him instead of choosing to define that life. He went on to say that we are positive not because life is easy. We are positive because life is hard. He reminded us, Mr. Gordon did, that our faith must be greater than our fear. He says that media is the Bible of the fearful. And then finally, Gordon said that we create our world not from the outside in, but from the inside out. These are a few of the takeaways that you are going to be hearing as you dive into this episode with John Gordon. Yes, he's a phenomenal writer. He is a remarkable world-class presenter. He's also, as he shares his story, shares his life, shares his heart, a remarkable man. So my friends, get ready for a show that is going to light you up. Get ready to buckle in for the ride of a lifetime. Are you ready for it? Please welcome to this show, my friend, best-selling author, world-class speaker, John Gordon. Hey, John. Great to be with you. 
Man, we are so excited to have you on the podcast today. And as you know, and now as our listeners also know, I'm a huge fan. I'm a follower of yours. I read all of your stuff. And more than that, I'm lucky to call you my friend. So thanks for joining us today. Thrilled to be with you. And that that is a a mutual club we're both a part of. I am a big member, (laughs) card-carrying member of the John O'Leary Leary Club. Well, there's three, and two have the last name O'Leary, so now it's nice to have a third with the last name Gordon. It'll be great, man. Welcome to the club. Hey, Johnny, t- tell our listeners who may not know about you and your work today um, what you do. I'm a writer, a speaker, uh, more importantly, a father, uh, a husband, and um, I basically do what you do. I go around, I speak to audiences, whether it's uh, businesses, schools, sports teams, and I've written a number of books. So I basically speak on what I write about. I consider myself, John, a a writer first Mm -hmm. and a speaker second. So I got into speaking because I love to write and wanted to share my messages, but publishers said you have to uh, go speak if you want to be a published author. You have to put your your work out there. And so uh, speaking became something I had to start doing, and now it's something I seem to do more than writing these days. Well, it's really interesting because most writers are not great speakers. Most speakers are not very good writers, trust me. So it's uh, it's unusual, John, for you to come out of uh, out of the writing industry and be who I consider one of the most phenomenal presenters there is in the entire world, man. So I think it's a great story. But what I know about it is it did not begin with the number one best-selling books that you have or the platform that you have today. I think it started from much more humble background than that and I think everyone has a story. It's just not the story we frequently tell the world. So, John Gordon, let's back the bus way up to the beginning. Where did you grow up? I like that, back the bus way up. Um, I uh, grew up in Long Long Island, New York, in a uh, Jewish-Italian family. A lot of food, a lot of guilt, (laughs) a lot of wine, a lot of whining, and uh, grew up in Smithtown, uh, Long Island. What what, what was childhood like for uh, this Italian-Jewish kid? It was uh, filled with sports. I was a big, uh, big athlete. Played all sorts of sports. Would always battle in the front yards, in the backyard with basketball. Uh, Dad was a New York City police officer, undercover narcotics. Mm. One of the toughest guys you'll ever meet. When I would talk to kids and say my dad could beat up your dad, I knew it was true. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know we'd always have those arguments, but. Um, uh, my mom was one of the first working women, you know, in the in the 70s. She was actually working in sales and had a job. We didn't have a lot of money at all, uh, very middle class, lower middle class uh, family. Uh, my biological father uh, left when I was one years old. So my mom was single for a little while. Then she met my dad, the New York cop who raised me and really became my dad and, and had a huge influence on my life. You know, just uh, the kind of man he was, the toughness he had, but really the love that he had for for me and my brother and, and his own kids and his family. So he was a big, uh, big influence on our lives. Um, very normal, you know, very normal childhood, except for, you know, the divorce aspect. But other than that, uh, you know, was a good student, loved uh Loved playing sports and the you know the high school teams and the, right. the middle school teams and, and that whole uh, that whole stuff. John, you're one years old. It sounds like when your mom and dad got divorced. How long was it before she found the man that would eventually become your your dad? Five. So I was five years old when they and met or when they married. 
No, when they got married, when I was five, so they they were dating a little bit uh, before that. I'm not- uh, pretty interesting. Pretty interesting story is uh, they actually uh, lived next door to each other, uh, but it wasn't one of those things. They they were just they were friends, and right. you're like, yeah, right, right. No, they were friends, and then they move away, and. Uh, several years later, they both got divorced. Mm-hmm. My mom's in a parking lot uh, where my dad is, and she winds up backing her car mm-hmm. into his car. He gets out of the car. He is just steaming. He comes over. He's like, lady. And then he realizes it's my mom. And so they start talking, and she's like, should I get insurance? He's like, no, no, it's all good, but you know, let me take you to dinner. Mm-hmm. And after that, you know, that was it. And so it was really fate. Destiny really brought them uh, together again. Do you, uh, there's an argument whether or not fate is a real part of life or not. What, what's your stance on that, John? I believe God has a plan for everything. I believe that fate is God's orchestration. So there is a God. There is a creator of the universe. We uh, live in a universe, which means one song. Songs don't happen by accident. Mm-hmm. There is a creator of the one song. And we are part of this symphony and the notes that are being played. And we are involved in this symphony. We are involved in this one song and in this dance. So I believe that when you look at your life and you'll think about the most amazing things that happened in your life, even uh, the tragic events, even the bad events like you, John, you look back and you say, okay, these things that happen ultimately lead you to become who you're meant to be. And so even for me, I ran for city council when I was 26 years old. I think of that as a difficult event because I, I put everything into it. I thought this was my future in politics mm-hmm. and I wound up, I wound up losing, but that loss would ultimately lead me to the work that I do now. So sometimes you have to lose a goal to find your destiny. And the thing here though, is that, that, you can look back on the events in your life and you can say, you know what? I really wasn't in control of that happening the way it just happened. I mean, my wife just walks down the street. I see her as I just opened up this barn bucket. I'm 24 years old and she's walking by. And for me, it was love at first sight. For her, it took, it took a few years. But, but, but a few years uh, – I mean a few weeks after that, I see her at another event, at a, at a Best of Atlanta charity event. I never saw this woman before in my life and now I see her two times in about two weeks. And so I, I really believe that fate is is God orchestrating things. Well, man, it's awesome that he orchestrated your mother to back into your soon-to-be dad's car. They had dinner. <laughs> I, I'm, I really mean it. I, and I think uh, God does work through all things, and I'm glad he worked through that. Uh, yeah. t- tell me about your life after college. What, what kind of stuff were you doing outside of running for city council? So I was a government economics major. After college, I wanted to go to law school. That was my plan. But I, I had met a, a girl interning in D.C. during the summer, and we fell in love, and she lived in Texas. So I decided to go to Texas right after college. I gave up going to law school at American University in D.C. and instead followed her to Texas. My mom was just devastated. I'll never forget. So here I am driving my car down to Texas. I leave New York. I'm driving down, and on the way down, the engine caught on fire, and the car literally was smoking and and almost exploded. The car was rendered useless after that. I should have known that that was a yes. sign from God. Yes. Yeah, I should have known that it wasn't going to work out, that this relationship was not going to work out. And so I got down there, 
and we started to fight. Everything we talked about wasn't coming to fruition. And I remember I just said, listen, I, I got to go home and figure things out. She said, if you go home, then, you know, we're over. I said, I got to go home. And so I went home, drove back home. I'm driving in my car. I, I'm, I'm crying because my heart's broken. And I'll never forget, like, pitch black night, open road, driving back to New York. And the song comes on the radio by Meatloaf. I'll do anything for love, <laughs> but I won't do that. And so I got... I got home, waited tables at Hula Hands in Long Island, thinking about what I was going to do with my life. Wasn't sure. All my friends went to go work on Wall Street, mm-hmm. had successful careers. I felt like such a failure. And I saw an old friend from high school. We decided to move down to Atlanta because Atlanta was an up-and-coming city. I was looking at other cities like San Francisco, Atlanta, uh, maybe New York, and Everyone said, check out Atlanta. It's really up and coming. It's happening. It's great for young people. So I just went down there in a car with my friend. We got an apartment. I started waiting tables at Hula Hands down there. And that began began the the journey of my life. It, it was just when I looked back, it was just like the old Wild West. I just got down there, started waiting tables. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, I got a bartending job in Buckhead. So I'm, I'm waiting tables. I'm now thinking, okay, I got to make better money than this. And Buckhead's a happening spot. So I said, I'm going to go to Buckhead. I'm 22 years old. Walking around Buckhead with my friend and some other friends and came across this guy who was sitting outside. And we said, hey, you looking for bartenders? And he said, yeah, sure. We're having tryouts tonight. Do you want to try out? I said, yeah, definitely. He goes, have you bartended before? I said, oh, yeah, definitely. I had never bartended before in my life. So I went and got those cocktail, uh, the cocktail right. movie. Watched that, got some uh, books on on drinks and so forth, and literally started to bartend that night. Had no idea what I was making. People were ordering things, and I just was making it. I kept on asking this guy, Thad, what I should make and what's in it. He said, just serve it red, serve it with a smile. So (laughs) that's all I did. At the end of the night, there's a lesson in life there, I think. Oh, yeah. They came up to me at the end of the night. They said, wow, it's clear that you have no idea how to bartend, but we really like, like your energy, you know, because I was talking to everyone and I was really energetic. And, you know, they, they loved that I, I could bring in business. And from that moment on, I started working bartending while I was getting my master's in teaching at Emory and really started to create my life down in Atlanta. And they would open up my own bar in Buckhead when I was 24, a place called the Park Bench, and then got involved in um, – politics and started a nonprofit that we raised money for youth-focused charities. So I started doing that called the Phoenix Organization mm-hmm. and then uh, lost the city council election. Uh, went to law school after that for a year and a half, realized that wasn't for me, got involved in the dot-com boom at the time because I knew a lot of people. So I started putting people together and then got an opportunity to join this company that was uh, a wireless software company. Thought I was going to make my millions. That did not happen. And then we moved to Jacksonville, to Ponte Vedra Beach. My wife wanted to move to the beach. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was while I was still working for the dot-com. Uh, the dot-com really started to, to fail as um, after we made the move. And uh, my boss was great about letting me move. He's like, yeah, if you, know, if you, if you want to move, that's fine. You can just fly wherever you have to fly to. Um, and then eventually I lost my job doing that. But that led me to open up a, a Moe's Southwest Grill because I knew I needed to you know, provide for my family. I knew I needed to, um, you know, make ends meet. I knew that I couldn't just find any job in um, in Jacksonville 
the kind of money I was making in Atlanta. When I took that job, I met with the CEO, and I, I remember before I took the job, I was 29 years old, and he said, hey, we're thinking about you know uh, having you join us. Would you want to join us? I said, yeah, sure, but I'm not taking less than $100,000. <laughs> I just said it just like that. I look back, I crack up, and I said these things. And he goes, okay, that's fine. And, you know, it was the dot-com, right? No wonder right. why we ran out of so much money. And so I was like making $100,000 back then at 29 years old in sales, business development. But I winded up selling the NFL on NFL Wireless. Mm-hmm. I was the first person to bring a company like the NFL to using wireless data on their phones, which had never been done right. before. Um, unbelievable. Yeah. So, it's a, you know, I've never shared these kind of stories. So it's fun to, to share them. Um, you know, people who do know me may not even know these these kind of stories of, of the things that I've I've done. But I knew once we moved to Jacksonville, and I knew that uh, the dot com wasn't looking good. And I was at that point really struggling yeah. spiritually. I was struggling spiritually. I was struggling with my marriage. Uh, I was a young dad all the fear and the stress and providing for them really came to a head. And during that time, my wife threatened to leave uh, me if, if I didn't, if I didn't straighten up, if I didn't become a more positive person, if I didn't change, cause I was, I was really negative. I wasn't abusive or anything, but I was just really negative. And that was a huge wake up call. And I remember just sitting down saying, okay, what am I born to do? Why am I here? God, I know you have a plan for me. What is that plan? God, and writing and speaking came to me in that moment. I'll never forget. It was a really spiritual experience. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to start writing and speaking. I didn't know what I was going to write and speak about, but I knew that's what I was meant to do, which led me to then open up the Moe's Southwest Grill to try to make enough money to then support the writing and speaking. I was the first Moe's in Florida, only the sixth Moe's in the entire country. Uh, we second mortgaged our home, $20,000 in credit cards. We put everything we had into that mode. Not sure if it was going to work. Terrifying experience because, I mean, everything was falling apart. Uh, we weren't making money initially. It led to a lot of prayer. But that's where my, my, my faith was born was during that time. And you mentioned, John, that your wife said, listen, man, if you don't shake up, if you don't improve yourself, if you don't yeah. get better energy, I'm, I'm walking out. Yeah, it's amazing to me to imagine you ever being anything other than extraordinarily not only energetic but positively energetic. Uh, do you think anyone who has negative energy, those who bring storm clouds into the brightest beach days, can they change the way they show up every day? Oh yes, there's no doubt about it. No one really wants to be negative. I believe we become negative because of of uh, our consciousness, our our spirit, our pain that we're dealing with, the fear that we have, the doubt, circumstances I don't believe can make us negative, but we look to those circumstances as causes of why our life isn't the way it is, and then we blame the circumstances, which then leads to more negativity, more victimness, more pessimism. And so for me, I was blaming everyone on why my life stunk, that it was my wife's fault, it was because I had these young kids, that I couldn't pursue my dreams. So I was looking at everyone else as the reason rather than myself. That's why the first rule of the energy bus is you're the driver of your bus because you have to realize that that you decide the kind of ride it's going to be. And I had to go on that journey to have some empowerment. And my wife really shook me out of it with the threat to leave. And it was at that time that I finally looked at myself Mm -hmm. and looked in the mirror and realized it's no one else, it's you. So you you mentioned the energy bus in chapter yeah. one, and th- this is the book that becomes the foundation for your career. 
uh, and, and really your life in so many regards. Yes. Let's just talk about the energy bus for a moment. Where, where does the inspiration to write it come from? It comes from that experience of my wife leaving me and being really negative and then working to become a more positive person. You ask, can people become more positive? Yes, because George, the main character, was based on me, the journey of going from negative to positive. And yes, I was pretty happy, positive kid when I was younger. Yes, I had hopes and dreams in college. Uh, people remember me as someone who, who did have a lot of positive energy. But then in my you know, mid to late 20s, with the pressure and the stress, life started to beat me down, which happens to so many people. And so I was allowing life to define me instead of defining life. And it, during that time, um, I had to make some decisions and choices. And then looking back, you know, I worked to become a more positive person. So I know people can become more positive. And now, just like you, John, you hear from all the people who read your books, they, they, they hear you speak. You know, I get so many people have read the energy bust and say, I was George. Like, mm-hmm. that was me. Man, it changed my life. I can't tell you how many emails, how many conversations I have with people who tell me that because they resonate with this negative guy who works to become more positive. And so uh, that was the foundation of, of my life. That's where it came from. And I always tell audiences, yeah, it was based on me. And even when he has to, you know, ask his wife to take him to work and she won't, that was also based on personal experience. You know, and I've, I've, of course, read your book several times. I I had no idea that George is John. Yeah. Yep. It was, he was easy to write it. He was easy to write. And that's what happened. So it was during that, out of that experience. And then once the energy bus came to me, it literally came to me on a walk of prayer and gratitude. The story came to me. I said, all right, I'm going to write this book. I went upstairs to my home office and I literally just started writing it and it just started flowing out of me and I was writing almost based on my own personal experience of a negative guy who gets on a bus, meets a bus driver named Joy and she and a cast the characters try to, you know, turn his, help him turn his life around. Well, he did turn his life around and <clears throat> I think he's a reflection of you, John. How long did it take for you to write the book? And, uh, and then after that, tell me about selling this thing. There's nothing... As hard as it is to write a book, the only thing harder than writing a book is actually getting someone to buy it from you. So take me down the process of actually writing this baby and then eventually starting to share the good news that you have written something worthy. Well, it was a spiritual experience. I wrote the book in in three and a half weeks. God really gave me the framework, the story, the ideas. And as I started writing, I had about five rules, didn't have all 10, but the rules just started to appear through the story, through the writing. The characters started speaking, which is a little strange, but it started to, they started to speak. And, and then I, it started to just write itself. So I wrote mm-hmm. this book in like three and a half weeks. Had no idea, you know, what it was going to do, who was going to read it, what kind of impact it would have. Had no idea, but I sent it to, um, I had found an agent. I sent it to an agent, and she thought it was a cute story, said she liked it, and started pitch, pitching it to publishers. It got rejected by over 30 publishers initially. And I still remember getting the rejections and um, not knowing what the future mm-hmm. helped. Because I had sold the Moe's to focus on writing and speaking full time. And it wasn't going great. I was probably doing maybe two or three events a month. So I wasn't making a ton of money. I didn't know if I could do this long term. We had sold the Moe's. We had some money in the bank. My wife didn't want me to sell the Moe's because I told her I'm going to focus on writing and speaking. She's like, but you aren't even good. And so we, we had, you know, like in, in a loving way. Of That's course. when you got to hop back on the energy bus, man. When your yeah. wife tells you you're no good, 
yeah, you better you better work on this. And so I had a lot of fear of that not succeeding. But but then you know, so it gets rejected. So now I don't know what the future holds. Uh, money's running out. But then it finally got picked up by jo- by John Wally and Sons. Uh, Shannon Vargo uh, was the editor. She read the book. Had a best friend with a husband named George. Again, <laughs> fate again, right? God. Mm-hmm. And she says she wants to do it. Her boss says. If it doesn't go well, it could be your career because she's only been on the job for like three months. Right. So she decides to do it, comes out, and uh, I asked the buddy, what should I do? He said, pray. So I prayed for, for it to be a bestseller. It was a bestseller and in Korea. And that's, <laughs> that's, that's not a joke. That's actually true. There was like this huge hit in Korea. No one can explain it to this day. It's the largest foreign rights deal Wiley has ever done. It's one of the biggest foreign rights deals ever, actually. It was like two hundred over $200,000 foreign rights deal for them to publish it in Korea. In a pretty small market, really. So that, 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 that's market. an amazing deal. And the advance of the book was, was, was very minimal. So I wasn't doing it for money. Next thing you know, I get this email saying, hey, the rights just got sold. So imagine the rights just got sold. And out of that 200000 I get a hundred because, you know, it's 50% foreign rights. So I, wow, I'm like, wow, I just made 100000 off this book. This is unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. But not one bookstore in the United States would carry the book. Mm-hmm. So it's like this huge hit in Korea, but not one bookstore carries it. So that's when I decided to go on a tour around the country just to share the message in the book. And I went from city to city. I didn't do it very smart, though. I mean, I had like five people in one city, ten people in another. I mean, we were just – we were just – Chasing it, though, hard, man. And, and John, as you're sharing this, I I think the mistake sometimes we can make when we're listening to someone else's story is thinking, well, that's him, the old bartender, the author, the speaker. But we all have dreams. We all have desires in our life. We all wish for a better marriage, stronger faith, life, greater health, whatever it may be. And I just encourage our listeners right now, as they're hearing your energy behind this and your passion to drive it forward and your faithfulness to continue the journey, to kind of place themselves in your shoes and then to pursue passionately their dream. So keep sharing with us how you do yours, man. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that because for me, it was, it was faith. The really, the big difference when I look back, like why did I succeed? It was faith of just moving forward. It was grit, just working hard every day, sharing the message and just trusting and having faith. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't say, well, I'm going to have faith that I'm one day I'm going to be a best-selling author. No, it was faith that somehow would just work out. Faith that, that God would provide. Faith that God would put me where I needed to be and impact who I needed to impact. And so it was this walk of just trusting and doing the work and then just having faith. And so when people say, well, John, how do you have faith? Or, or you know, or you're just lucky. No, I know that it's not luck. Mm-hmm. I know that it's, and I know it's not me. I know that ultimately it was having faith in God, knowing that, that, that God was looking for someone who would do the work, looking for someone who could share this message. And I believe that because I was willing to do it, then I was blessed because of it. So this little energy bus that is not selling at all in the, uh, in the United States, I'm glad it's crushing it in Korea, Gordon, but it's doing nothing here. <laughs> how, how long before there's the critical mass, that tipping point where people in the U.S. are finally hearing about this little book? I think it took about five years, um, five years before it became a bestseller for the Wall Street Journal. So Wall Street Journal bestseller about five years. How many copies of the energy bus have you sold to date? To date, over a million 
worldwide. I don't know how many exactly, but I know it's over a million. It's probably three million with all my books, but that just shows you how how popular the energy bus is compared to the others. When when you write, speak, uh, say hello to someone on the airplane next to you, what do you hope that your listener, your reader, your follower, your passenger might receive when they're hanging out with you, John? If my main message is anything, it is, it's positivity. It's that by being positive, we can overcome the negativity, the adversity, the challenges, and the obstacles and the naysayers in our life uh, to keep moving forward, to be a positive leader who, who stays positive themselves, so they feed themselves so that they can feed others. I would say it's that. What, what do you say to the people who next to you on the plane or when they're done with the books that you write, shut it and say, this is a bunch of bull. It, it, positivity doesn't work. Life is yeah. real. Life is hard. It rains. There's droughts. What can Gordon do for me? I would, I would say that um, we're, we're, we're positive not because life is easy. We, we must be positive because life is hard. <laughs> life is hard. This isn't about Pollyanna. I struggle with negativity. But, but just because you have a negative thought doesn't mean you have to believe it. Negative thoughts are always going to come in. Fear will always be there. But we have to be more positive than the negativity we face. Our faith must be greater than our fear. And the love that we have for what we're doing, the work we're doing, the people that we're doing it with, and the people that we're doing it for must be greater than all of that. And if it is, if you love it, you won't fear it. If you love it, you'll overcome all the challenges to keep moving forward. So that's what I say to them. I say, you know, look at anyone who's ever achieved anything in life. Our greatest success stories, our most famous presidents, the people that we admire, they were positive leaders. They, right. they had to overcome negativity to be successful. I look at you. You, you were one of my heroes. And I, 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 I'm not saying that because we're on the phone. I mean, I, I look at you. I look at your life. I look at what you've done and how you've overcome adversity and now how you're inspiring so many people. I mean, you are the epitome and the embodiment of a positive leader. I think it's probably why we get along now. Mm-hmm. I write about it. You live it. So <laughs> I <laughs> honor you so much more. <laughs> Enough. All right. So when, uh, Johnny, when you are coaching people and encouraging people on making the shift from being negative and being victims to being positive, yeah. to being bold, to being love-oriented, to being faithful, what are a couple of strategies we can step into every day? It starts with as simple as feeding the positive instead of the negative. So one of my favorite pieces of advice was from Dr. James Gills, the only person on the planet to complete six double Ironman triathlons. And the last time he did it, he was 59 years old. He was asked how he did it. He said, I've learned to talk to myself instead of listen to myself. He said, if I listen to myself, I hear the negative, the fear, the doubt, and the complaints. But if I talk to myself, I can feed myself with the words and the encouragement I need to keep on moving forward. I think it also just starts with getting up in the morning and, and, and realizing that you're blessed instead of stressed. Mm-hmm. Research shows you can't be stressed and thankful at the same time. So people ask me, John, what's the number one thing you do to be positive? I'll tell you it's this. Over the past 14 years now, I take a walk of gratitude every morning. So while I'm walking, I just say what I'm thankful for. And while I'm walking, I'm practicing gratitude. I'm creating a fertile mind that is ready for success. I'm, I'm weeding the negative, feeding the positive, And these positive emotions are filling you up rather than the stress hormones that slowly drain and kill you. So that strategy alone right there is so key. When you face a challenge, do you look at the challenge or the opportunity? Mm-hmm. Every one of us has challenges, right? So, so 
I look at the challenge and say, okay, what can I learn from this? How can I grow from it? And how can I get better because of it? You know, with the media, John, both the one you watch on television, the ones you pick up on the newsstand, or even social media these days, it, it, it seems to be bombarding us with the negative message that we are all dying and we're dying quickly. You know, just, yeah. just watch it tonight at 10. How do you... Uh, follow and be highly aware and sensitive to what's going on around us locally and globally without being buried by it. You look at the media and you see it for what it is, the Bible of the fearful. And you look at all this fear and you realize that fear is just an illusion. You look at it and know it's just a bunch of lies. Then you look at the truth and you know that we don't create our world outside in from the media in. We create it inside out by who we are on the inside. And so how will the enemy divide us? How will the enemy try to conquer us? Uh, By spreading lies, by causing us to see divisions, by looking at color, by seeing the differences. But truly, if we really look at truth, we know that we are one. We know that we are loved by God. We know that we are here for a reason. And we know that from the inside, your spirit, your passion, your purpose, your soul, your love is how you create true success. And so don't get caught up in the lie. And there is so much negativity, as you just said, on social media. I think it's a great opportunity to actually practice positivity. Right. What a great opportunity to to be an influencer and a, a change agent in the world by being someone who is positive in a sea of negativity. In a world of negativity, you'll stand out through your positivity. And don't let social media, the negativity on it, keep you from, from being positive. Actually, you have more of an obligation to do it, live it, and share it as a result. So uh, we, just, you know, we just started Positive University, and in January – it's, uh, it's going to be free uh, to the world. And our goal is to spread positivity through Positive University. Well, man, you're, you're already doing it. I, I want to repeat some of the quotes that I've heard you share. I always encourage our listeners on the front side, John, to take notes, to listen with their hearts, their minds wide open, but to not listen passively, to like really listen so that they can grow on one area of their life and any area they want to focus on. And Some of what you've shared has just been remarkable. So here come a couple of my highlights. Here they come. Sometimes, and John, you live this, sometimes you got to lose a goal to find your destiny. There is one song. We are part of that symphony, and your music matters. We should have just dropped the mic on that one, but I'll keep going. (laughs) I was allowing my life to define me instead of choosing to define my life. We are positive, this might be my favorite, not because life is easy, but we choose to be positive because life is hard. Our faith must be greater than our fear. The media is the Bible of the fearful. And we create our worlds not from the outside in, which everyone thinks is what we actually do. That's why we glance into the mirror all morning long. But we actually create it from the inside out. These are awesome, Johnny. So now I want to pivot a little bit and take you into what we call the Live Inspired 7. Okay. Seven questions, baby, that we ask every guest that's ever been on the Live Inspired podcast, beginning with number one. What's the best book you've ever read? The best book I've ever read. So many great books. Hard to just pick one. But if I had to pick one, I would say John Ortberg's book, All the Places to Go. It's a new book out a couple of years. Uh, one main idea from that. That 
life is an open door and that God puts doors before you. And it's about walking through the door. It's about uh, doors that shut, doors that open. It's about walking through this journey with faith, like what we're talking about. But the way he wrote it, the brilliance behind it just blows me away. Awesome. All the places you go, check it out. Uh, John, question number two. Tomorrow, you discover your wealthy uncle has shockingly died at 103, leaving you with millions, man. Where would you spend those millions? Where would I spend those millions? I would um, continue to invest in others. I would do things like Positive University that we're making free and spending a lot of money to do it. And I would also continue to support the charities that I support and the initiatives. You know, I support Bob Goff's Restore International mm-hmm. that, you know, does so much around the world, uh, Homes for Hope in Mexico. And um, I support the FCA, Fellowship for Christian Athletes. I, I love their mission and what they do. I support the Dream Center in L.A., you know, my wife and I support about 15 to 20 different charities. And so I would just continue to support charities and mission work and people who are making a difference in the world. Man, awesome. All right, here, here you go, buddy. Question number three is, if your house caught fire and all living things, all living people are already out, but you have a chance to run in and grab one thing from your home that matters most. Gordon, what do you run back into that house to grab? These questions are so hard. I know why they're the top seven. Okay. <laughs> See, for me, stuff's not that big of a deal. It's all about people and relationships. So I would, I would make sure I got the dog. Um, the cats could stay inside. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> we just had a whole lot of people unsubscribe, Gordon. You're, no, you're costumes, <laughs> man. No, I have two awesome rescue cats that I love, but they wake me up every morning. So my wife and I always joke, like, they're, like, the greatest thing, but they literally, like, mess with me every day. All right, well, the cats are out. The dog is out. The people are out. What's one item? An heirloom, a picture? Uh, it would be, it would be, yeah, it would be, it would be pictures. It would be pictures of my family. That's, I mean, it would be a picture of my family. It would be uh, my grandparents' pictures that sit right here, you know, on my desk. And it would be my mom and dad who, my dad just passed away in June and my mom died 10 years ago, which I just can't believe that they're both gone now. Mm. And so it would be the pictures of my parents that I look at often. I just visited their grave um, yesterday, you know, and they, they're right next to each other and they, it says together forever. But it was the first time visiting since my dad passed away and it hit me like, wow, they're both gone. Right. You're an so orphan. It would, yeah, it would bring those pictures. John, uh, if you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach on a gorgeous day and have a long conversation with anyone living or dead, who would you want to sit on that bench and have a conversation with? Abraham Lincoln, I would love to have a conversation with. Yeah, I, I truly think he's one of the most fascinating individuals from all of history. Yeah, and but you know, beyond that, Jesus, no doubt. I mean, just to you know, talk to him and 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 um, really be able to ask him some questions. Like, did you really mean that? <laughs> <laughs> have some great conversations. That would be that would be unbelievable. What's the best advice you've ever received? The be- uh, Dr. James Gill's advice that I shared earlier to talk to yourself instead of uh, listen to yourself. Mm. 
what would you tell your 20-year-old self? I would tell my 20-year-old self not to stress so much, not to worry, but to enjoy the ride. It would be everything that I wrote about in the Energy Bus and Training Camp, which is my favorite book that I've written. It would be everything in those books. And by the way, just to remind the folks, we have links to all of John's material, his site, his university, and his incredible books uh, on the show notes. So you definitely will want to check those out today. And John, your final question is this one. It's been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you want your one sentence to read? My one sentence. Well, I'm a big believer in, in, in one word. And we actually have a new book come out called Life Word. That there's a word that uh, could be the essence of your life. And for me, my life word would be positive. Because it's not something I chose, but it's something that chose me. And that I know that my calling, my mission on earth is to be a positive influence. So for me, it would just be one word and it would be positive that you could put that on my tombstone. John Gordon, best-selling author, international, outstanding presenter. My friend, we are so glad that you joined us on the Live Inspired podcast. Well, thanks, John. Honored to be with you and uh, really appreciate it. Well, man, and, and I forget who said it, but someone really wise once said that there is one song We are all part of the symphony and that our music profoundly matters. John Gordon, your music has mattered profoundly, and we can't wait to hear you sing more. (laughs) Thanks, John. God bless. My friends, for this time and until next time, this is Live Inspired with John O'Leary, and this is your day. Live Inspired. My friends, thank you for joining me on this Live Inspired podcast. That was John Gordon, and I warned you on the front side, it was going to be a remarkable show. Lots of content, lots of quotables, lots of tweetables, lots of takeaways that you can either hear that will inspire you for the moment, or if you take notes and you make it your own, it's a kind of content, the kind of information that could light you up for your day, for your week, for this month and beyond. You'll find a reminder of what we chatted about in the show notes The notes are below, but if you're not looking at that right now, you can learn more about that at JohnO'LearyInspires.com. We will have big chunks of the content from this show pasted there. We're going to have a link back to John Gordon's website. You'll have a link to his books. Uh, You'll want to check it out. So go to JohnO'LearyInspires.com. Learn more about that. And if you've enjoyed this episode as much as I've enjoyed and always do enjoy bringing it to you, please take a few moments and rate this show, review this podcast. It's a quick, it's an easy way that can help get the word out. Although the show is still just launching, we're just barely baby into season two right now. It's climbing the chart. It's touching lives. But you can help us inspire and impact even more lives. You may not know it, but there is a bit of negativity right now in the world. Why not tell our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, our kids, our spouse, our family members that there's a different path, that there's a different light, that there's a different truth? The best is yet to come. And part of the Live Inspired movement is not only celebrating that fact from others, but living it ourselves, my friends. So for this time and until next time, This is John O'Leary reminding you that this is your day. Live inspired.